Welcome to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. I'm Tina Pippin, co-host with Lucia Hulsether. Get ready to experience a masterclass on the theater of the oppressed with our guest, Adrian Jackson. Adrian is a director, theater maker, playwright, translator, author, and theater of the oppressed facilitator. He recently stepped down as artistic director and joint CEO of the theater company he founded in 1991, Cardboard Citizens, in London. Their motto, we make theater that activates change. Cardboard Citizens works with the marginalized, the unhoused, refugees and asylum seekers, and the incarcerated to provide space for them to tell their own stories. In other words, telling themselves to the world. As Cardboard Citizens says, we put ignored lives at the center of the story. In addition to numerous books, Adrian directed a documentary with Andrea Luca Zimmerman, Here for Life, in 2019. And the same year, he directed Bystanders, a play, true stories about the lives and deaths of homeless people. Adrian worked closely with Augusto Boal for many years, translating his work and collaborating in Theater of the Oppressed workshops. Most recently, he revised Boal's Games for Actors and Non-Actors, the third edition. Through participatory and democratic arts and theater, Adrian uses the aesthetic space of the stage to put oppressions in the larger context. Welcome, Adrian Jackson, to Nothing Never Happens. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, just to get started, I, we, you know, we have, we draw on a wide range of listeners here, some of whom know um, a whole lot about theater of the oppressed, others who um, may be very, very, who, others who might be like hearing it about it on the, for the first time um, on this podcast. So we're wondering, we want to kind of combine the first question and say like, tell us about your journey um, with theater of the oppressed, um, how you came into the work that you, that you do. Um, and maybe if, if there's a way to kind of weave into into that a little bit of the the sort of wider story about what theater of the oppressed is um, as a as a pedagogical model as a theater model as a social change um, practice um, that would that would also be great. Okay, I'll do my best. Um, essentially, I start my life as a theater maker, um, really, um, but a theater maker with um, an instinctive continual interest in social justice and in, in politics and and perhaps perhaps it's more pertinent to say actually um, always a person always drawn to outside outside people I suppose um, so uh, my own particular trajectory uh, was that I was in the ooh, in the 1980s, I was associate director of a theatre company called London Bubble. And we did a lot of work with communities. I suppose that was my main brief at the time. And 
we would find that we nefty zealots would want to talk with a group living on a housing estate, for instance, uh, which I think is what you call a project. Um, we would want to talk to them about everything that was inequitable about uh, their lives there and um, so on and so on. And we would find that very often the last thing they wished to talk about was that they wanted, they lived in some aspects of their lives which they wanted to escape from. And they wanted art and theater as, as a way of getting away from that stuff. Um, which of course then we would we would we would work with and we would do because we wished to be at the service of others but it was a little bit frustrating and then i did my first uh, i had my first workshop with augusto and i already knew about his work i had purchased the theater of the oppressed probably when it came out in English, I think in 1976. Um, but I'd found it frustrating. I'd found it rather difficult to read, to be honest. Um, I'd found it a little bit on the turgid side. And being a practitioner, at a certain point, I skipped to the end to find out how you do this stuff. Um, but jump forward to the mid or late 80s, and I did my first workshop with Augusto, and this was exactly what I had been looking for. Um, this supplied exactly uh, the hole that was needed to be filled, um, because it gave me and the team I was working with a methodology to work with communities and talk about important stuff but in a way which was not in the least bit sort of top-down or didactic um, or agit-proppy, really, but in a way which simply asked questions respectfully and worked together to, you know, to seek um, interesting dialogue and, and ways forward, but also was playful. This is the most important thing, was playful. Sometimes, with great respect to the left, sometimes the left isn't always that good at playful. Um, sometimes it's a bit, it's a bit serious and self-regarding, in my humble opinion. Um, Bertolt Brecht had this word spas, which he used, which was fun. Basically, I think it translates as fun. Look, that's Brecht, for God's sake. And people have funny old ideas about Brecht and, and his, but of course, he is the most playful of writers and playful of directors and playful of theater makers. So when I came across this work, I immediately wanted to try it. And I tried it and it fitted me very well and uh, what I wanted to do. So it was like the answer to a prayer, really. Um, and that was how I came across it. And, and then I developed quite quickly, I developed a relationship with Augusto, um, which was first of all around um, games for actors and non-actors, um, which wasn't available in English at the time. And I offered to 
try to find a publisher for it. And then when I found a publisher for it, I offered to try to translate it with no pressure at all, because I just suggested I translate a chapter for Augusto and he could show it to people. And if it was okay, that would be great. And if it wasn't, you know, whatever. Um, and since then I've translated, you know, it's weird, I can never remember where it's five or six books, uh, two from French, which is a language I did actually have a facility in, um, and three or four, whatever it is, from uh, Portuguese, which is a language which I didn't uh, speak when, uh, and I still don't speak really, um, when I first encountered Augusta, but which I can read and I'm a decent linguist. But more importantly, I understand the work and, and, and yeah. So that's it really. Um, it's been a long and rewarding journey. Um, it still feels absurdly curtailed by Augusta's death in 2009, which is not something that was on my um, agenda in a kind of way, which is not something that I, you know, it's weird. I mean, you know, what was he, 72 or something, but it's I just honestly never thought about Augusto dying. I just never, never, never occurred to me. So I, I put aside quite a lot of pleasurable things like going to Rio for, you know, for a decent three or four months in which time my spoken Portuguese would no doubt have become pretty good um, because I was always just so busy, but also because there would always be more time. There would always be more time and I would see Augusto once, twice, three times a year, we would teach together in different places, and that was great. But you know, I never really. And then he died, and you know, so that's that's uh, that's um, yeah. What can you say? Um, anyway, so um, that's my my journey um, to try to address the other part of your quite large question. Um, you know, I, it, it, how does one summarize the theater of the oppressed? It's a set of methodologies, an approach and an ethos, and um, some would offer an aesthetic, though I might jib a little bit at that, um, for discussing, for finding a, a theatrical space in which to discuss um, matters of importance, um, particularly stories which aren't told enough and stories told by um, people who experience various different forms of oppression all around the world. Um, and it's an evolving, I mean, Augusto called it an arsenal, as you know, which perhaps some would um, prefer to avoid the sort of weaponizing metaphor, but um, it's an evolving collection. Um, it's out there um, and people continue to apply it in a remarkably wide range of settings um, from the academic to the activist uh, to uh, the theatrical um, and everywhere in between, really, um, in 
countries and cultures all around the world, and this is pretty much literally true, um, where it acquires the tinge of whatever people locally wish to do with it and how they wish to shape and reframe it and, and so on and so on. So, you know, it's there, it's not going to go away and it's robust enough, I think, in its framing and formation to resist um, pirates, um, um, borders, if you like, who would wish to harness it to a different uh, um, set of goals. Um, and that's reassuring, you know, yeah. God, that's enough. Is that enough for now on that one? Well, I would like you to give us some specifics uh, for those who, as, as Lucia talked about earlier, may not be as familiar with the methodology. Um, you know, how do you begin to get communities and marginalized communities to um, to practice TO, you know, from uh, from games to image theater, invisible theater, especially form theater, if you could do some, tell some concrete stories about that to give us a sense of how it works. I mean, I suppose the, the most useful concrete story would be the, the sort of outline of the evolution of the theater company I founded and have just stepped down from Cardboard Citizens. You know, we're in 1991, late 91, just on the back of a, a recent um, hosted visit by Augusto, um, we wanted to trial the methodology and um, there was a long list of oppressed groups with whom we might work and the one we landed on for various different pragmatic and um, political reasons was people who've experienced homelessness or were experiencing homelessness. So how did we do that? We simply went to places where we would find homeless people and we put up notices saying uh, homeless, got something to say about it, come to uh, come to a workshop. Um, and the trick of the techniques is that if when properly applied, is that they are wonderfully welcoming and seductive because they say, you know, what do you think? And they say, show us. Um, and then they invite discussion. And of course, image theater is the simplest and most potent and uh, set of techniques because it doesn't even require a sort of verbal articulacy um, to say what you want to say. Um, and um, that's almost always the first port of call on the way in. Um, and, you know, these techniques are seductive. Um, I think it's important to understand that um, because many people will be resistant to engagement with um, theater, the arts or whatever. Many people will have many preconceptions and many people, frankly, will have better things to do. Uh, homeless people are dealing with pretty serious stuff all the time and life's a challenge. And, you know, uh, to justify taking up some of their time with this theater thing, uh, you've, got to, you've got to offer something which is pretty user-friendly and, 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 you know, 
So yeah, so we did those initial workshops and we, we got a wonderful crew of people along and, and then we simply launched from there. We, we applied for a small sum of money and said, well, we're going to do, we're going to try this thing and we're going to put together a couple of forum theater pieces. Then we're going to take them around to places, hostels and day centers, places where other homeless people are, and we'll see how it goes, shall we? And, you know, wonderfully, sometimes it's wonderful to know, to not know what you're doing. Um, and uh, sometimes it's really important to not know what you're doing. And we didn't know what we were doing. Um, and uh, yeah, then these things emerged and it just worked. I mean, I want to say it, it, it's incredibly adaptable and it just can work. And whether it's whether you want to apply it in a very localized setting and just say, well, I've got a group of kids in my class or whatever, or I've got a group of uh, members of my local community and we're facing, they're facing this or that, and we just want to bash together something to trigger a good conversation. Well, Forum will do that for you, you know, and uh, I mean, the spectrum is, is very broad from something which is as rough as a rough piece of theatre can be to something which is as well honed and, 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 and developed as any piece of theater can be. Uh, and they'll all do the job. They'll all do the job, um, provided that they are well facilitated, I suppose, jokered in the, in the, in the, in the lingo of the theater of the oppressed. Um, so, I mean, I just want to say to people, as you probably know, I, I, I've taught a lot and still teach and intend to continue teaching in different parts of the world because it's a wonderful opportunity to learn more for myself and to encounter people and you know just you spoke about yourselves as evangelists and yeah to evangelize I suppose you know um, and that's been a that's been a great privilege and and what I always say to people is just do it and just do it just find your space and just do it be brave and do it and don't defend uh, uh, one of the many, many things I learned from watching Augusto in practice so many times was sort of the best defense is non-defense, you know, so what are we defending? There's nothing to defend. You're fine. This, you think this, we th I think that. Okay, that's cool. Uh, this doesn't work for you. Okay, what would you like to do? What should we do, you know? Um, and that's that's a great release um and it also frees you up to be to be braver because like well what can i lose and when, you know when young facilitators and workshop leaders are starting out you know and i know this from my own experience sometimes there's a sense of what am i going to do will it work will it work Ooh, did that game work did that exercise work what does all that mean what does all that mean um Stop worrying about whether it worked. Launch it out there, and then you, yeah, you can ask immediately afterwards. Any good? What do you reckon? Did we did we learn anything? What do you think? Is that okay? Cool. Rubbish. Let's move on. You know, and it's a release to to not have to 
perform success, if you see what I mean, because what's success? What would success be? Um, so, yeah, that's what I just try to say to people. I say, well, look, you know, you've done a week long course. There are various tremendously good books out there. Just just go out there and do it. Do you know, I mean, it's funny because I, I was in Japan, I don't know, about 10 years ago, something like that, maybe. And, you know, I was working with a group there who had literally, they had, they were just plowing through the text of games for actors and non-actors. And one person would <laughs> read it out and then they'd work out what it meant because it's very difficult actually to write down games. And, you know, sometimes some of those games I, I wrote and, you know, Augusta would just say, well, you know, you were there, uh, you know, write it out. Um, so, well, that's what do I need to put in? What do I need to not to put in? But it was heartening because, you know, the, these, this Japanese group had literally just working through it and they hadn't had anybody who'd been in a workshop with Augusto or myself or anybody else. Um, and yet it still kind of worked for them. So um, yeah, that's what I'd say. These are really long answers to really short questions. We really love worry. You, you, you should just, you can, I'm, I'm really happy to be interrupted. Okay. okay. I, I really am. Just, just All right. If, if you ever up. start, if you ever like go off the deep end or something and we think it's not useful anymore, we'll feel free to interrupt you. But that hasn't oh, happened so far. Um, um, OK, so I just wanted to say that I, I, I really appreciate the examples you just gave and the thing about like, just try it. I as somebody who just started doing TO in my classes this year as a relatively new faculty member, I thought of two things. One is there, there's a place in um, Rainbow of Desire where Boal is describing kind of going into, I think it's a psychiatric hospital setting. Yeah, and, and, and the question is like, well, what do you all want to do today? And somebody says nothing. Nothing. I love that story. And 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 the facilitator, the joker is like, okay, everybody do nothing. Like nobody do everybody do nothing. And the game develops from there. Um, and when I read that, I was like, okay, I can do this in my classes. Um, so I went into class the next day, or no, maybe not the next day, like the next week. And we were, it's a class of first years and the class is on education, power and social justice. And we're sort of reading critical pedagogy, um, stuff and examples from social movements. And then we're kind of looking critically at our own environment. So the idea was to do a, um, a TO workshop in class using um, forum, we did games, then we did forum theater for um, different conflicts and issues that students were facing and they wanted kind of like tapping in and out to intervene in the situation. Well, the games, the, the forum theater, scenes ended up being instead of like res re resolving the situation it would be a roommate conflict and everybody who was tapping in just found ways to escalate it um and to make you know like the ra would come in and start screaming and be a terrible ra like making the roommate conflict worse and that like the president would come in backed by security guards and like ending up having this like this sort of absurdist performance of like what would the worst version of college be and i kept as the as the 
facilitator choker being like, no, 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 no. We have to like really try to solve this problem. Like, how are we going to solve this person's problem? Like, let's run the scene again. And everybody would be like, that's not very fun. And um, they would go in and it would become even more absurd and even more extreme. And I, um, at the time, I, there was a part of me that was like, oh, well, I just like really failed to like um, facilitate like students, like, you know, resolving their roommate conflict or whatever we were playing out. But then like every student is like, that was the best moment of the class where we like really started to bond and like played out what our fears were about what might happen in college and open up a conversation about that and to be able to laugh about um, some of the like, okay, like you're fighting about like whether or not somebody put their like shoes away in their room um, and it like goes up into this like question about the carceral politics of residence life and um it ended up, and so anyway, I, I thought about both of those things about the like, just not being not being afraid of failure and not like ascribing so-called failure to something like this. And I, it made me wanna ask as the follow-up question in part, and this is a very small question or a very um, specific question, which could bloom out in lots of directions. How do you see the role of the Joker? Can you talk about the role of the Joker? What have you learned over time about the Joker as a, uh, as a, as a player and as a piece of um, any theater of the oppressed activity. Um, and how does that relate to being a spect slash actor? Okay. Are those Look, roles? Before, yeah. I, before I answer that, or maybe partly it will be an answer to that, I wanted to comment on your, um, on your points and your examples that you've just brought up. Um, and maybe it answers some of the questions. This, 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 this work can do so, so many different things, but one of the first things it can do, and perhaps one of the most important things it can do is engage. And what you're speaking of there is engagement. And I, I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about modern culture society um, because in a kind of way we, 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 we you know what with the whole social media thing there is a massive level of engagement in a, in a kind of way there isn't um, and certainly there are vast swathes of the population of the world that are totally disengaged with the whole idea of politics and and don't feel either don't feel able to voice a thought don't feel that their thought would be valued or don't feel that their thought would make any bloody difference at all so the act of theater as as a as a gathering in process for an audience to become a group of people rather than a collection of individuals um, a group that is engaged with a subject and looking at it that's just, just fantastically important um, now what you're able to do with that engagement how far you're able to take it really depends massively on your circumstances and I'm really interested in your example about people putting their shoes in the wrong place or whatever it is because do I want to spend my life making theatre 
to enable people to put their shoes in the right place or the wrong place? No, I don't particularly. Um, but that's a silly thing to say because what's interesting about any anything like that is what is the meaning of this act and what is what are the rituals around this act? And then, then you can start to get to what is this really about? And a very good question for a joker, back to the question which you were setting me. You know, about halfway through any kind of forum show, a question I suggest for you is, what's really happening here? What's this really about? And you can't jump over it and say, oh, I don't want to talk about shoes. Shoes are not important. You've got to talk through shoes, first of all, if that's what your group is concerned about. That's fine. Um, and you've got to travel gently, mainly at the pace that they want to pay, travel at to get them to a more interesting place. But people are intelligent, not stupid. Given the opportunity, people and audiences are even more intelligent than individuals, given the opportunity. And so you ask that question, you'll start to find out what it's about. And, and that's when you get to the more political in a kind of way. And that's when you get to the interesting, interesting stuff. And of course, sometimes you can be so frustrated because you as Joker say, no, I want to talk about class. I want to talk about gender. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that. None of your business. None of your business. OK? Um, you, you just place yourself in that space and you be yourself um, and you ask good questions, but you cannot force it somewhere it doesn't want to go. It's what does this group of people wish to speak about at this particular historical moment in this particular place? So, I mean, I think that goes to what I would say about what is the function of a joke, the joker and, and the practice of jokering. I have tremendously enjoyed um, jokering in my life. And because I did in the early years of Cardboard Citizens, so much of it. And because our audiences were never obedient audiences, because they were rowdy audiences in difficult places, they weren't well behaved. Um, this was a very good training um, and a recognition you know, I, I try to say to people who are training to be jokers, whatever, um, or there is no such thing as negative participation. There's just participation. Okay? So everything that comes at you, everything that you hear, every reaction you spot, use it. It means something. Unpack it. Work with it. Respect it. You know, even if it's, you know, somebody at the back of the space um, shouting something abusive, use it, explore it, respect it. Um, it sounds silly to say this, but um, I just have had so many experiences where, you know, what others might construe as a negative, it was just participation. It's just participation. Um, so that's a really good lesson, I think, to offer, which is that just listen to everything. Um, feedback, 
most things which will help you understand whether you've heard it correctly or not. And, um, and use it and follow where it takes you. And again, when you get confident in this, and, and there is a degree of, you know, jokering, you get better at it, okay? And, and it can be a rough old ride to begin with because you're very naked. You're out there in front of people. The potential to handle something less well than you might do is immense, you know, because you're, it's an improvisation. Um, and you have to be brave and you have to trust yourself. Uh, the great thing, of course, with jokering is that you can always say, what on earth did I mean by that? And you, know, you can always say, God, that was a stupid thing to say, wasn't it? Somebody tell me something more intelligent, please. Um, you know, there's an infinite space for, for re um re-articulation or better articulation of something you wanted to say. But what am I trying to blunder towards here? Um, you're in a space. You have chosen to work with a particular group of people, probably because you find some fellow feeling with them in some way, you have some affinity, you care about what they care about. And if you're doing it in a reasonably uh, purist form, you're likely to be playing to an audience which has some skin in that game, as it were, which has some interest in that. That is the purer form of forum theatre. A community plays back stuff it's dealing with to a wider chunk of that community, whatever you mean by community. So that's, you've made a piece with a select group of that community. And once you come to the actual moment of forum, it's over to them, it's over to the audience. All you've done is you've offered a provocation. Hopefully you've offered quite a good provocation. Hopefully you've offered a pertinent provocation, which means something, um, which signifies in the language that it uses in the situations which it portrays, um, that you know what you're talking about so that the audience will think oh wow okay this is real this is authentic this isn't just some well-meaning bunch of whatever's coming in here this is people like us okay cool and that'll buy you a lot but once it's there it's there and you put it out there and then you just got to follow your nose and, and a, a, a very, a classic joker error is to try to push it somewhere where you feel it should go. It's none of your business. You've done your bit, follow it through, see what comes. I really like jokering partly because, and I think people enjoy me, companies enjoy me jokering with them, acting companies enjoy me jokering with them because I always want to go somewhere in a show that I've never been before, okay? And when you do a show, as with Cardboard Citizens, we often did, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 times or whatever, you know, over a, over a, over a tour. 
you know, there's a danger that you say, oh, well, this is intervention X, this is intervention Y, and what we do here is this, and what we do there is that. And so actors need to be kept on their toes and need refreshing. So the moment you hear or spot offered by an audience member, a spectator, um, an idea or, or a possibility that's never been offered before, go for it, absolutely go for it, and plunge your actors into, into uh, a place where they're going to have to work on their metal and they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to think and they're going to have to think there and then. Um, and it's playful and it's fun. Um, and who knows what idea might be exposed. So these are these are simple things. I mean, I always want to go somewhere I've never been before. Um, you know, somebody might say at a certain point, oh, well, where should uh, where should she go to 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 restart or something to find some you know a new possibility or whatever it's oh she, she should go to she should go to a yoga class oh wow yoga class oh okay so uh, she she would go to a yoga class okay and i i burble for a little bit to give my guys the chance to think about and pastiche as much as they would like what a yoga class so where would you find a yoga class oh you'd find it there uh, you uh, the notices in the library okay notice in the library and uh, when would this be just be like an evening an evening okay okay so uh okay so would you like to show us would you like to go to i think we have a yoga class yeah right by which time we have a yoga class ready and say so, oh welcome so and off we go and of course, it's it's silly and it's playful because, of course, I would encourage my performers to find the most cosmic yoga practitioners that they can, who will all be called things like horizon and lettuce or whatever. I don't know. You know, I'm being silly here. I, I have to say I'm a major yoga practitioner myself. So it's myself I'm taking the piss out of here. Um, but, you know, just to go in that now. That's going to be a funny and enjoyable scene. It's going to be playful. Is it going to be useful? Yes, it's absolutely going to be useful. While doing all those other things, it's going to be useful. So, I mean, again, I'm giving away all my tricks here, but I mean, the, the, the questions I want a joker to ask are, is this useful? Are we learning something? Um, is this going to be good theater? Answer yes to any to those three of those questions, and off we go. This is going to be good. This is going to be good, you know. I mean, well, another no, interesting. Go okay. on, go on, you know, no, please. No, keep going. Oh, I'm please. loving this. Okay. I'm I'm learning a lot here. Um, well, I just wanted to. Uh, I was reminded by um, an exercise that Michael Rode did in a TO workshop once. Um, and to encourage you to um, uh, think about a moment of delight in doing forum theater, where things really like surprised you, moved you in a new place in terms of your own evolution, something that happened that was a moment of delight. You, you want an example? Uh, um, yes. Oh, uh... Just so, so, so many, really. Um, what should I choose? Um, 
I remember in a at a conference in Paris um, in the mid in the early 90s when the TO movement was just sort of coming together and there were a few Augusto was still based in Paris and he got some money from I can't remember where he got some money from to, to, to have a conference there and various people came from various parts of the world and it was fun. And there was a, there was a really not very well thought through piece from a French group, should remain nameless, fortunately I can't remember who they are anyway. Um, and it was about a, a guy coming out as gay to his family, okay? And, you know, the scene was, he is, he's like, he's like, um, uh, mom, dad, I've got something to tell you. It's, you're not gonna like it, you know. Um, I don't know how to put this, you know, um, I'm gay. Okay, I'm just, I'm gay, I'm, you know. And I'm, I'm parodying it, obviously, but anyway, um, there were various interventions and then a very frustrated um, Brit, actually, um, shouted stop. And on his way up to the stage, he, he, he sort of started performing his intervention on his way up and he said, um, um, florists, bunch of flowers, um, wine shop, bottle of champagne. Um, and he bursts into the parents' house. He says, mom, dad, I'm gay, pop. <laughs> and it was a lovely intervention. It was a lovely intervention, very symbolic but actual and, 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 you know, the, it happened so quickly that of course the, the would be disapproving parents or would be discombobulated parents were just blown away, you know. Anyway, I mean, I had this thing um, where I was with a partner and um, we weren't married and it was in the early nineties and, um, she became pregnant with our first child. And I knew that when we were going to tell her parents, they, they, they would not really approve because we weren't married. Um, and I knew that also they would assume when we rang and said, well, we've got something to tell you that, um, that we were gonna say, oh, we're gonna get married, which is not what we were gonna tell them. <laughs> Um, so I just borrowed this whole intervention. Um, um, we rang, we said, we got, uh, we got something to tell you, we need to come round um, on the way there, bought, bought a bottle of champagne, <laughs> bought a bunch of flowers, um, came in the door, he immediately said, Colin, Marcia, uh, Emma's pregnant. <laughs> and it's completely, they're completely... <laughs> any resistance was completely overwhelmed. Um, so that's a sort of joyful example of literally borrowing um, somebody else's intervention and using it in a different situation. <laughs> and again, it, you know, you sometimes describe things and you, you 
you know, you describe interventions and you say, well, where are they on the spectrum of symbolic and actual and practical? And look, it's up to you. And sometimes something which is more symbolic, it, it can be turned into practice and vice versa. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, anyway, that's an example of, of, and it worked. It so worked. It so worked, you know. Um, well, that's marvelous. <laughs> Thank you for telling that story. Um, have I answered whatever the question was ages ago? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Tina, I think, you, do you have a follow-up? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, your own evolution here uh, has, has been nice to follow as, as well as um, you showing Boal's evolution. Um, and congratulations on the third edition, the 30th anniversary of Games. Is it out? And is it out in the States? It's, it, is it, it out? In the came, it came out November 29th. It's the publishing right. date. Okay. Uh, it's available on um, uh, for order, but it'll take a while and you can get parts of it on Kindle. <laughs> so, okay, great. Good I could great. not get it interlibrary right. loan, um, but right. so right. working with the. I mean, I think it. I think it will be the. I really can't see a situation where there'll be another edition. Really, I think it will be the last because, you know, we excavated a few new texts and added them and some commentary <laughs> and some different things. But I don't think there can be much more that remains unpublished. Well, I think one of the things that you talk about in your postscript is the manipulation of games, the sort of co-optation of these games by corporate, um, well, I'm, I'm thinking corporate America, but I'm sure in Britain too, perhaps, that the multiplication of TO has generally been healthy and um, you know exciting, especially in terms of social justice, but that in the wrong hands, uh, there can be um a misuse of to don't know if you want to talk about that a bit yeah well you know i th i think augusto oscillated between um a desire to just put this wonderful invention out there and trust people to do what they will with it and another persona which wished to sort of control, for want of a better word, the quality um, and nature of the work a little bit more closely. But, you know, it's already clear by the mid-90s when I was done, I would talk about this out, you know, say, well, I'm all for it. But, and he, he, had, in, he had in mind at that time in the mid-late 90s or early 2000s, he had in mind a sort of select group of flying jokers who would go around the world and 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 you would sort of teach and then so on and so on um but you know i, I said you know as we say in english the cat is out of the bag augusto the cat is so far out of the bag um that any attempt to get the cat to re-enter the bag is is doomed to failure um so, you know, that that came to nothing. And I think it's totally appropriate. Um, so I don't know how much bad practice there is, as it were. 
I know that it can get frustrating, and I've told stories in various fora about this, to see the work not very well applied. Um, and occasionally, more than that, where you really think, wait a moment, you've missed the whole point. Or even worse than that, no, you've perverted the point. This is not what it's for. And I think the real question is how much of that is there out there? And I suppose it's just incumbent on those of us who do teach and or who have some prominence or whatever, who are able to offer what we think is, you know, the, the, the most useful way to work with this work, to do that really, um, and to just spot deflections or perversions when we see them and just try to call them out, I suppose. Um, you know, I, I remember that one time when Augusta was here, we discovered to our horror that there was a company which worked entirely uh, with, with businesses, with corporations, um, they had snapped up the title Forum Theatre Company or whatever, you know, um, and they actually had nothing to do with um, oppressed groups, as far as we could discern. Um, but you know, I think I think most of these things will wither on the vine eventually, you know, because the the work is so much about questioning and about self questioning um, that you know there's there's a limit to how much you could apply it without asking yourself more searching questions about, well, what is this actually doing? Or without being asked by others, more searching questions. So, you know, imagine you, you do some kind of forum type thing in a, I mean, Julien Boal performed um, a few years ago in another festival, um, God, this is about 10 years ago actually now, in, uh, in, uh, in Pula in Croatia. <laughs> He, a group he was with performed a sort of ghastly version of, uh, um, you know, a sort of corporate training sequence of improving customer service and supposedly using Forum Theatre to do that. Um, but I don't know how much of that there, there, there really, there really is, and and you know, I hope that it's it's considerably outnumbered by more important practice it's life you invent something brilliant people will get hold of it people will do things with it people will use it differently um yeah yeah does that does that answer i can't remember exactly what what i said yes. in that thanks yes yes uh, lucia's gonna have a question yeah, I feel like I'm still trying to formulate this question, but maybe that's a good thing because we'll help each other. Um, so I've been in a number of settings lately where um, I have found myself drawing on um, various writings by Bowal, by others who are working within TO to answer a, or to, to basically rewrite the question that is that I think is sometimes posed to people who are doing like radical or critical kinds of pedagogies, which is, well, like, 
you know, this isn't the real world. The classroom isn't the real world. The real world is out there. And they, of course, mean the university classroom. Or um, yesterday I was, in a, I was on a pedagogy panel and one of the questions was like, basically what, you know, you're doing all of this like de democratizing the classroom. Of course, democracy as a process, not as, in, not as something that could be like ever imposed in a final way of rearranging power. What is the, is there anything about the classroom of the university and all of that is in scare quotes as I'm saying it, that you would want to preserve as special? And my answer is always like, absolutely not. Like we are in con, like the classroom is the set of power dynamics um, and hierarchies and knowledges and concerns that the people who are in front of you at any given time or who the people in the room at any given time and that include the instructor or the joker whoever you know whatever roles we're playing and so tried to shift the conversation to like what if we think about what do we think about the different parts of different parts of institutions that we are encountering as theater um but i find myself still sort of tripping over my answer in part because this sort of like classroom spaces, whatever we imagine those to be, however radical, whatever way they're being arranged is not the quote unquote real world, um, which seems like, you know, the kind of bifurcation that we would want to, to deconstruct and that T.O. does um, tarry with and refuse. But I'm wondering T.O. does, does, does what? like sort of tarry with and and refuse okay. um, and, and remake. So I was, and so this is kind of like, I'm curious about like sort of how, you, if you have been faced with that kind of like, well, this isn't the real world. Why are you, um, you know, wh why are you imagining that power could be something it's not as a sort of moment of like, I don't know, complacency or um, resignation. And then, so, Tina always asks the question at the end about like sort of how you generate forms of hope through pedagogy and where you find that. But we're wondering specifically in terms of your social justice commitments and working with people, I can't remember how you said it at the beginning, um, people who are incarcerated, people who are unhoused. Um, how do you like, ugh, now I just ramble a lot. Um, how are you remaking what a learning or social justice transformation space is. Um, and what do you think TO and particularly your practices, whether with cardboard um, citizens or any other, any other sort of um, community you've been part of, does to notions that there is a set apart space where we're in classrooms and learning there in a formal way and the rest of the kind of so-called like world. How, like, what, what are, what, how might you think about sort of deconstructing that kind of, I think, tired binary that I find myself getting sort of discursively placed in? And I think others do too. Does that make sense? That was a really rambly question. No, no, that's absolutely fine. It just, um, I just need to think about it. I have been fortunate in that. To an extent, I haven't been faced with that question because the vast majority of my work is indisputably in the real world um, and the vast majority because I, because, you know, because the company I founded became a fully functioning theatre company um, 
really out there and you know mostly in hostels and 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 other places and then then in theaters and then also in council meetings and then also in seats of power and so on but um i mean yes it's still obviously a subdivision of the real world and i think i might have got I might get a little bit frustrated in academia that stays in academia um, about, you know, the, the about the the effect of the work. But I've been very lucky in that um, my my work has mostly been in out in the field, as it were. Um, and I'm sure that the courses that you work with also give students an opportunity to work in, 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 in uh, out in the field, as it were. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, look, I don't need to tell you that, of course, the, uh, the classroom is part of the real world. Um, and you are obviously in the privileged position of um, offering your students a space to think which will affect everything they then go on to do in in the the real world um so um yeah let me see have i lost your i wrote down some things but now i can't read my writing um yeah i mean There's a sense sometimes um, in many parts of the world, um, there would be a sense um, that um, this was so detached from reality that it that it meant nothing. Um, and sometimes when Augusto would um, would come and facilitate, and we we would we would have you know Joker and he, we would have you know large and willing audiences. Um, at his feet, almost literally, um, it was so far from reality, as it were, um, that you could think, well, this won't actually work in a real world context. But the thing is, it does. It simply does. And there are enough companies around the world using it in real world contexts for you to, to see that. Um, Tio's part of a process, almost always at its best, it's part of a process. It's not the whole of the process. It tends to ally itself to things. It tends to form partnerships um, because what can it do? It can trigger um, new thoughts, new ideas and new energies. Um, but then what will happen to those new thoughts and new ideas and energies? And they have to be channeled into something. Um, that's why working collaboration with other activist organizations or, or in contexts in which, you know, enduring change is possible is, 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 is powerful and wonderful. Um, there is no magic in this world, sadly. There is no magic. Um, there are no magic bullets or whatever. Um, change, I often feel people speak about very glibly, um, as if it's something 
easy um, and if it's something instant but my own experience of changing parts of myself is that you know change is hard one and difficult to sustain um, yes occasionally one will have moments of epiphany occasionally one will be driven to such a difficult place in one's life that you know change will happen like that but mostly change is um, an incremental process. And what can the arts do? The arts can powerfully catharsize that change. Um, and then it's what happens next, what happens next. So there's a sort of literal interpretation of TO sometimes that people apply a sort of very reductive interpretation as if this was a way of hollowing it out and undermining it, saying, well, you know, the revolution hasn't happened yet, has it, or whatever, you know, I mean, um, um, and that rather misses the point. I mean, I go back to something you were originally talking about, which was, um, you know, you, you're jokering something and, and you find you're not finding the answer to the problem. Well, of course, this is a basic misconception because it's theatre is about interrogating problematizing and sometimes that's just a deeper understanding of the problem sometimes sometimes wonderfully it provides the answer but almost always it provides a deepening of the the, the, the problem and that's also incredibly useful i mean i'm i'm frustrated by where we are in debate now, and this has been exacerbated in the past few years, in, and, you know, theoretically, forum becomes a more important space than ever for these polarized positions, which are occupied in so many areas of our contemporary culture. Um, and I, I'm afraid I don't know of many uh, instances where forum is being used in those contexts to really, really unpack and bring together, unpack those ideas and bring people together. Um, I'm afraid it's more often being used in, which it can be used, of course, in the sort of context of increasing a solidarity amongst a group of people who already know basically that they sort of agree with each other. Um, I'm really interested in groups of people who don't agree with each other um, and, and that as a space. But I, you know, so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I said. I mean, I, I know comparatively little about academe, I have to say. It may be a place I spend more time now, um, but it sounds quite a frightening place to me, to be honest, um, to, to, to be at the moment in terms of negotiating the various um, demands placed upon you from above and below, as it were. Um, yeah, if I could uh, return to your postscript in the third edition, because what you're talking about, you you write about there, um, and this gets to Lucia's question, it's, you talk about um, lim theater being a liminal space and forum theater being a liminal space between reality and fiction and how that occupying two worlds at the same time can really, uh, and simultaneously can really open up, you know, I ideas that you've talked about spaces of liberty um, 
and and that really struck me when I've done forum theater in in my classes where um like this semester um a forum theater piece on um uh as part of our living wage campaign on campus because we have a large number of of uh, colleagues who are marginalized in terms of pay and respect and democratic workplace uh, mm -hmm. and a refusal from the manager of the uh, dining services that are outsourced for my students in a religion and economic justice course to um, interview them uh, and introduce them to the campus and we had green light green light and then it stopped and so we did a, a forum theater piece on my going to the manager to express my disappointment. And at one point I froze the scene once a student replaced me and did a, a much better job um, confronting the, or encountering the manager. I froze the scene and, and said, what's going on here? And the students almost in unison said, you don't have any power. And so, I was able then to say, okay, where's the power? And they said, students have power. I said, well, then what needs to happen? Students need to go with you, you know, that kind of thing. So that, that liminal space where we're acting out a, a fictional scene and forum, but it's a, you know, as, as Bawal says, it's practice for the revolution. It's rehearsal yeah. for the revolution, right? So if you could speak more to that. And then I'm afraid, oh, we're going to have to, ask our final question. This has been okay, so cool. Thank you. I don't know. I don't think I've, I've much to add. I think you've said it really. Um, um, I mean, I think it was uh, that phrase comes from trying to translate um, Augusto's um, word, which, um, which is a sort of border a border theater um, and uh, you know the word liminal is now so current isn't it and um, I suppose that's where that came from. I think I think Augusto was always preoccupied with the the, the idea that when you're making theater when you're performing theatre, you are in two worlds at the same time, um, and that the actuality of what you're doing had a meaning, um, as well as its fictional meaning. And um, yeah, I'm just—I suppose I—I'm just struck by that. To be—it's um, terrible admission, but I can't remember what I wrote in that. Um, postscript, if it's a postscript, because I think I wrote it quite a bit earlier this year. Um, no, I'm afraid I don't have anything intelligent to add to that, um, to add to that um, um, conversation, but I suppose it goes to Lu uh, 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 Lucia's point of um, these notions of real world and real people and so on. I mean, there's people, it's almost hysterically funny when people talk about real people, um, <laughs> as if there were any people who weren't real. Um, and uh, yeah, it comes to a sort of hierarchy that people have about um, people who are oppressed and people who matter and, and so on and so on. Um, and um, 
No, I mean, look, it's a practice. It's out there. We do it where we can. We place ourselves where we can. We take it as far as we can. Um, it's part of a larger jigsaw of ways of making change happen. It's an incredibly powerful, as I say, tool of engagement and then a space for debate, um, which if you're observant, you can notice so much happening in and you can encourage an audience to notice so much happening in. Um, and, and that's what it is. So sorry, it's a bit of a non-answer. That's great. Um, I, uh, oh, there was something I was going to say, but I can't remember what it was anymore. So I'm just going to ask the next one. Our final question, which I'm very sad to be asking because I love uh, talking to you um, and talking together. Um, but the, since we are, we are at, we are at, we've gone over an hour at this point. Um, our final question that we just like love to toss around to each other is, what are you reading, listening to, watching, mm -hmm. thinking with? Like, it could be, it could truly be anything. I'll make Tina go first, so so you have a moment. Um, uh, sorry, I see, I see both of your faces looking anxious right now. Our listeners can't see yeah. this. Um, <laughs> whatever comes to mind first. Um, anyone wanna, anyone wanna give some suggestions or just like you know throw throw a a piece of spaghetti noodle at the wall for a, a thing that we are consuming, listening to, reading, thinking about? Okay, I'll start and, and let Adrian have a moment. Um, this is the first thing that came to mind. And, and sometimes I do film studies in my uh, scholarly writing. And, and sometimes a film just kind of sits with me and goes with me for days. And, and that film is Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. Um, it, it's an it's incredible. I, I really like Campion's work, but it, it gets under your skin, and or it did mine. And I'm I'm just thinking about that film a lot. So I, that's what I would have been consuming. That and really bad uh, Netflix Christmas movies just to decompress from the semester. <laughs> really bad. So from one end to the other, highbrow film art to <laughs> the lowest yeah well i mean like everybody probably um in certain part of the world um you know good quality television has um been a lifeline in 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 this time and uh, the most extraordinary quality television is represented by succession, which I'm sure you are. are. And, and remarkably, it's, it's a very British invention, actually. Um, the producers and a lot of the writers behind it are um, some of our leading, mostly women playwrights. Um, and it's remarkable. If you haven't been watching it, I really recommend it. Have you been watching it? No, oh, but God. I hear from my mother and father that my that he's always trying to get my mom to watch some of these shows with him. Um, it's like okay. Fargo, it's Breaking Bad. It's like sort of like gangster cartel kinds of shows. Okay. And Succession is the newest one. And they actually well, are both watching. Is, is really 
Shakespeare would have loved a succession in terms of history playwriting because it combines all the virtues uh, of here the great history plays in that you know there are local situations and people real people as it were I've said that word now um, connecting into a larger structure of power and how the world works done with incredible wit uh, and pleasure. So that has been an absolute treat. Um, you you were asking about hope, I think, um, and I can combine a little bit with this. Um, a book I've been reading recently, I, I, I am continually fascinated, I'm afraid, by the Third Reich, because my mother was a refugee from it. And um, there is a wonderful text about resistance in Third, uh, Third Reich, which has just come out called All the Frequent Troubles of Our Days, which is a translation of a text by Goethe, by an American woman who placed herself in Berlin um, through the war, essentially, and was executed. Um, and took a vigorous part in resistance to Hitler, which was very little, um, very little documented uh, in the time since. Um, and it's just an incredibly well-told story um, by this uh, writer who managed to gain, she was given a treasure trove of letters by her great aunt who was this woman's sister, I think, and I warmly recommend it. Yes, resistance, very important. Um, and noticing when resistance is necessary. And I think we are in that moment, aren't we? So um, yeah, heartening. Okay, those are my two. All right, I guess it's my turn. Um, yes. I will just say very quickly, I highly recommend um, Andrea Long Chu's N Plus One um, article, Bad TV, which is about um, Me Too and po watching politics, political um, reckonings as if it was bad TV or just TV. So I, we, I signed that yesterday in a class and had a great conversation with students about it. But one of the things that came out of that conversation, this is what I, this is what comes to mind just immediately now is, so Robin Bernstein, who is a scholar of um, gender sexuality studies and performance, um, she's at Harvard right now, wrote a book, her second book is called Racial Innocence, Performing Childhood from Slavery to Civil Rights. And it's about um, the, the, racial politics of like how childhood is imagined and defined in sort of US popular or literary imagination. And one of the concepts that that Bernstein puts forward is this notion of um, childhood toys, material objects as scripts, scriptive things that scripts different kinds of behavior. So the classic example or the example that she sort of like works with throughout is dolls given white dolls versus black dolls or dolls that have kind of menstrual features. So like the white porcelain doll of a white child teaches children how to handle white children with a lot of care and they're breakable and um, should be caressed and held very gently. Um, mm -hmm. And then like the Raggedy Ann doll um, which is a kind of minstrel doll, 
is soft and can be hit and thrown and that being a racist script of childhood through objects. And I was thinking about this yesterday in a different context because I was talking to a student who was trying to like basically critique the syllabus of a, another class that she was in and about the kinds of um, just like constant racism that was coming out between the students of the class. And we were trying to think, okay, like what's the power dynamic in this class? Like, where do you think power is coming from? Why is this coming up between students? Like, let's not, what if we didn't think about the classroom or the instructor role as neutral roles um, that are making themselves disappear? But like, what's, you know, what's the structure and sort of leveling up? Um, what sort of like one level of abstraction in order to see how power was moving in these micro and intimate ways. And the thing that we came to and bringing Bernstein into the conversation was um, what it, would it be to think about the syllabus as a script for the sorts of performances and conversations and questions that become possible. And that, I mean, of course, I was like immersed in TO stuff preparing for this at the same time, but Robin Bernstein, Robin, full disclosure, uh, was my advisor um, at when I was doing my master's at Harvard. Um, but that came to mind as like what, what the syllabus as a scriptive thing. Um, mm -hmm. And there is always a script and we are always being scripted or do scripting others as um you know, in some way. And so that mean that takes off the table any notion of the classroom or the syllabus or the instructor at, or the students in the class as like neutral with respect to it and opens up questions about disruptive performance. Anyway, so that became, that was a like really helpful, like just sort of like, oh, of course, like Robin's work um, in talking about a student about a sort of experience she was having with learning in a different setting. But I think about it now too, because it was like all of these, all these like sort of notions of theater and performance and power coming together at a, at a time. So everybody should read Robin Bernstein's excellent work, um, Racial Innocence. But uh, that sounds fascinating, Racial Innocence. But first of all, we have to read the bad TV. I found the bad TV is, is that a, Hmm. Is that a single essay or or um or is this like a series that she's she's writing Andrea Long to she's a so she's this is super interesting. She's um so she's a I don't I don't think this is part of a series, but she definitely has a book and she has another piece in um in plus one. It what she thinks about like the politics of desire and what are the politics of wanting something that you know has a bad like political outcome and like what are these attachments that we have but this is another thing I mean this is another it relates to our conversation I think Andrea Long Chu as a sort of public thinker public um, trans studies gender studies sexuality studies theorist her big moment was writing in the Chronicle of Higher Education about a Title IX scandal um, in at NYU where a very very charismatic queer woman professor was um, charged with um, like horrible psychological and sexual abuse of a cis white man graduate student. This was all in the New York Times. It was the Avital Ronell scandal. And a number of queers, and of course we know intimately, well, many of us do at least, lots of listeners I bet know the sorts of psychological abuse and coercion that can happen in a PhD program. Um, and so it was sort of putting a lot of this on the table, um, but there, but it was like the roles were 
quote unquote reversed. Um, so it wasn't like a skeevy older man professor abusing a young woman student. Um, like the, 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 it was, it was, it was different um, subject positions, like the kind of, it was kind of like the, the typical story got scrambled. And um, Andrea Longshu wrote in the Chronicle of Higher Ed, um, the, as, an article called, I, I was Avital Ronell's teaching assistant, I believe her accuser, that really talked about the psychological dynamics and relational sort of um, wow. power dynamics of, of PhD programs. And I know that for many, I was in grad school at the time, and I think for many of us who read that, it was just like, you mm -hmm. said something that like has been this open secret that we talk about, like, you know, in meetings after class or like in our apartments, but like to have articulated it so well. And she's just an amazing, hilarious writer. Um, so yeah, I can't say enough. Yeah, that sounds that. really interesting. Yeah. Um, we're going to follow that up. Very good. Thank you for that. That's, yeah. that's uh, well, Adrian Jackson, it has been a joy talking to you today. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your wisdom on theater of the oppressed and, and your own journey and, and social justice. You, uh, your commitments um, have helped us to deepen ours. So thank you. Thank you. It's been, it's been very nice to talk to you. been listening to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Aaliyah Harris, uh, who also provided the outro music for us. It's called Radio Noise. Our intro music and theme song is by Lance Eric Hagen, performed by Lance Eric Hagen with Aviva and the Flying Penguins. You've been listening to Nothing Never Happens and our interview with Adrian Jackson of Cardboard Citizens. We were thrilled to have him on the show and hope uh, that this will continue the conversation about theater of the oppressed, uh, which Lucia and I are both very committed to. Uh, so stay tuned for more in the future on Nothing Never Happens.